What's going on everybody? This is Noah Alvarez and welcome to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast, episode 122. And yes, I know it's been a minute. Excuse the absence. I had to take care of some things on the mental state of things as well as, you know, I was moving, moving some stuff around, you know, so just uh, I had to take a couple weeks off from the podcast. I couldn't really be interviewing a lot of people. It was just a little tough for me. But the grind don't stop. And I'm back here for episode 122. And before we get things started, man, I I do got to thank my man Vince Correa for designing the Mike and I logo that you are seeing in your screen, as well as the homie Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. You can check out more of Generic Sports work at SoundCloud, Instagram, Twitter, and Bandcamp. Just search up Generic Sports. Also, before we introduce this week's guest, I did want to tell you about Phoenix Fit at spelled FNXFIT.com. It's a fitness supplement brand and they have your pre-workouts, post-workouts, BCAAs, some really dope fitness apparel as well. And if you use promo code my Mike and I with the letter N, so my Mike, the letter N I, you can get 15% off on every single purchase that you make through their store. And the cool thing about Phoenix Fit, guys, every purchase you make, they donate a gallon of water to people in need through their live program. Be sure to check out the live program on their website. Be sure to check out any of their gear or their supplements that you may be interested in. And don't forget to use promo code MyMikeAndI for 15% off on every single purchase there. Also, a reminder, we are brought to you by Popple.co, that's spelled P-O-P-L.co. And what it is, it's a digital business card. So it's an attachment that goes onto the back of your phone. And let's say you want to promote a YouTube channel, your personal website, and let's say your PayPal account. You program that on the app. When you meet someone, they're saying, hey, I want to check out YouTube videos. Where can I find that at? Instead of having to text them or social media DM them, you can just tap the back of your phone to the back of their phone, regardless if they have the attachment or not. And boom, on their screen pops up all their information. It's super revolutionary. No more, you no longer have to carry a bunch of little, you know, business cards in your wallet and fumble around with those when you try and introduce yourself to new people. I know we're starting to reopen here in Orange County, California, and different parts of the country as well. So you never know where it may come in handy, especially if you're a small business entrepreneur, that type of person, and you're just going out to a lot of local events, come across people at different places. It's gonna come in handy. Be sure to check out popple.co and use promo code LOCKER for 20% off on every single purchase. Speaking of LOCKER, be sure to check out LOCKERROOMSPORTSCA.COM. It's a website that my friends and I, well, I guess you can say "Eh, friends too, but colleagues and friends and I had started during this quarantine and we've been grinding it out. There's a lot of sports stuff on there, but there's also a lot of pop culture stuff on there too. I'm actually going to be adding to the series this weekend, the series that I had a while back, um, What to Watch During Quarantine. And so, yeah, I'll be adding to that this upcoming week and uh, posting that probably on Monday, this upcoming Monday when I'm recording this on Thursday. But yeah, just to kind of give you guys a heads up, you know, Max, Carl, Jacob Fanshaw, Andre Newell, Nick Kennecke, Eddie Sanchez, a bunch of guys on the team. I'm probably forgetting a few guys, but Monica Zepeda, of course, our one female writer. If you're a female and you, if you just want to write, it doesn't matter if you're female or male, but... If you're interested in writing about sports or some pop culture or something else too, we're open to all kinds of ideas. Be sure to hit me up and we can kind of get that situated. But yeah, we got a team of about 11 to 12 writers going on strong and just trying to produce out some good, solid ass content. So be sure to check out LockerRoomSportsCA.com. And now we can get into episode 122, the guest for this week's show. is my boy Tyson. Tyson is a local to Santa Ana, California. He runs a lot of things. He was the founder and one of the, uh, yeah, one of the founders of Concept Art Collective, a uh, art collective based out of Santa Ana, California. He's put on tons of events, worked with people like East End Block Party, and he also worked with um, the Leela Project as far as putting the Feed the Juice event that uh, took place this past Saturday on the, it was the 19th, yeah, Saturday the 19th, a uh, wonderful event, Feed the Juice event that we didn't even get to talk about because he had such an interesting past and we wanted to hit on a few other things and we were kind of in a hurry as we were recording, but we may get him on another show in the future, so uh, we can definitely talk about that Feed the Juice event another time. So yeah, shout out to my boy Tyson. Without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation between Tyson and myself. 
So, first thing I kind of wanted to ask you was, if you could describe 2020 in like a few words, what would you describe it as? Boring. <laughs> uh, unfulfilling and a uh, roller coaster. Sure. I like asking people this question because I just think uh, a lot of people either stop what they were doing, any side projects they may have had. A lot of people just hit the ground running and st- did stuff anyways. And it's really interesting to see, at least here in Orange County, like the, the network I have, the amount of people that went all in and whatever they were pursuing, regardless of this pandemic, and then a lot of people that are just too scared to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like such a, I feel like there's going to be huge disconnect, not a disconnect, but there's going to be levels to after this is all over, not when it's over, but you're going to see like different levels, people like further along and some people just like really held back after like in their careers. I was like one of those that didn't, everything was up in the air for me and I was really trying to push um, the projects I was working on to still happen. Mm-hmm. And I thought like this come March, it was going to be like, oh dude, like this is only going to be a couple weeks. Let's still plan for the date, you mm-hmm. know, in June. And we were like, dude, like, it never happened. So I took maybe like a month off. But that whole month I was like killing myself because I really, really wanted to get things done. And I was still pushing assignments to people. And I was like, just get it done. And they were telling me like, bro, it's not going to be like this for a couple of years, you know. And yeah. I was all like, no, we can't have that mind state. We just got to do it, you know. So we got the work done. But unfortunately, like, you know, the, the that, that certain event didn't happen. But after that month, I was like, dude, I got to get back to work. I got to do something. So working at, I was just trying to find ways to be creative at the point. So maybe doing more photography, doing more videos, like calling up my friends and booking those shoots and just getting them done. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that helped me out a lot of being motivated to put together events again. Mm-hmm. When did you first, whether it was as a kid or as an adult, when did you first tap into your creative side? Definitely my teenage years, I would say. Um, teenage years, you know, other than sports, like I didn't really have that many outlets. So I think that's when I started trying to write music and as well as, you know, doing graffiti and just being creative on that end and just, mm-hmm. you know, working on art. Did you have a tag name when you were graffiti? Yeah, but I can't say that. You can't say that? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Okay. I, I had one, too. I never did it, like, I just did it on, like, friends' notebooks and stuff, but mm-hmm. the, uh, my friends, some friends called me Curly Fry, and so I would just tag that every now and then with Sharpies. It's a long name. Yeah. <laughs> curly Fry. But, you know, the curly hair, so it just, it kind of stuck with me. For a little bit, at least through middle school years, and then high school, I kind of just dropped everything like that. So you grew up in a pretty rough part of Santa Ana. You were telling me the last time we spoke. How did how did you try and steer clear of that, if at all, when you were a kid? Um, well, my younger years, I was always in after school programs or sports, mm-hmm. um, and I always had like good OGs around me, mm-hmm. you know, and like. My brother always used to tell me, too, like, a wise person learns from their mistakes. An even wiser person learns from other people's mistakes. Mm-hmm. So when going and knowing that, like, quote, my whole life, like, I just learned from it. So I saw, you know, I used to respect my old. I, I wrote this song once, and I had this line. It's like, I used to respect my OGs until they started smoking more than weed. <laughs> so I pretty much realized what was going on around me. Like, you know, there's a lot of drug dealing, a lot of drug use, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, things going on at home, you know, gang banging, things like that. And I never wanted to be that person. So I always found outlets, you know, I found different routes mm-hmm. and, you know, there was rumors where like, you know, like some of the OGs wanted to jump me in. So like I would stay home mm-hmm. and they would tell me like, don't come drink this day because these guys are going to want to jump you in. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to go out there with yeah. them, you know, like, just one of those things that, like, it just comes with the territory, you know, and sometimes you're forced, it's forced on you. Yeah. It's not even by decision. Yeah. You don't, it's not all the time you get to choose that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, just channeling it through sports and music and being creative at home, staying home. It's never good at school, but I just... Pretty much had a really, really disciplined 
lifestyle growing up. Mm-hmm. What were some of your favorite sports playing as a kid? Uh, basketball, football. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really play too much football like in high school. I was just like on practicing with the teams and, and I never played a game. Like I never made the last cut, but mm-hmm. I would always still go like, you know, PE before you join the team, like you get to work out with the teams and stuff. I would do that for basketball just to, I would be in the football program the year before, uh, the season before just to get ready for basketball. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like what I did. And I was at the park every day, every morning, every day, like before school, just working on my shots, going to school. Um, having playing basketball there and then coming leaving practice and going to play again like that was yeah. my whole life was just shooting hoops. Though yeah. I'm not that good, <laughs> but I, I think whether you're good or not, I think that's a one thing that today's youth are going to suffer a little bit depending on how long this pandemic lasts. Is the the lack of sports that are out there, especially you know at like just the regular little leagues, the regular, you know, publicly funded NJBs, Pop Warners, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. the public leagues, and even the public schools, high schools that are maybe lower division and sports aren't seen as a huge priority because they're not bringing in a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. But with their seasons either canceled or postponed, I just feel like a lot of these kids, they use, I think both you and I could say we use sports as like an outlet to avoid trouble, right? Yeah. And learn also like good qualities like leadership, uh, commitment, how to work with the team, and some kids are going to be missing out on that, depending on how long this lasts, right? Let's say this is a maybe a one and a half, two year thing. You know, there's a a good group of generation of the kids that are going to grow up without playing those sports that had that taken away from them, and I think it's it's ultimately going to hurt them in the long run too, without like learning that discipline at such a yeah. young age, without learning that commitment, that leadership skills, and they might commit to other things that mm-hmm. are not positive mm-hmm. things. You know, like I think that's what came with the city we were raised in you know like like obviously now like as we get older we see like man maybe we didn't have it that bad but like you know growing up it was like fuck we did have it that bad and we overcame it and that's like and those are like the stories i like to hear you know like people overcoming whatever happened to them in the past and being able to be a better person and giving back to the community like that's that's a great story Mm -hmm. Did you have any positive role models as a kid growing up, whether it was through sports or someone like in your family? Um, probably my brother, my oldest brother. Um, he kind of just always got us out of those situations. You know, like he uh, he um, was the one who got me into basketball. He's the one who got me into hip hop. He's the one who got me into collecting shoes to, you know, being a Clippers fan. Like, <laughs> like I was never a Clipper fan. Yeah before like I became one I was actually a New Jersey Nets fan because I liked Kenya Martin was my favorite oh, player oh Kmart yo like yeah. something about his game and his <laughs> hustle like I just loved who he was like as a player mm-hmm. but I realized I didn't really like the team mm-hmm. like I didn't like the branding I didn't like there was nothing about it but I used to record because uh, my brother would work so I would videotape every Clippers game for him so oh. I'm like forced to watch these games yeah as a kid and I'm just like man I know more about this team than I do about my own team and then I was like I jumped ship so in like 2001 like I was like dude I'm gonna become a Clippers fan now like <laughs> did you have a favorite player when the, when you first converted over Darius Miles man mm-hmm. Miles was bright young player like he was he should have been better than what he was you know like, unfortunately injuries got to him but I just liked how he had fun like, he was out there just dunking and throwing alley-oops, catching alley-oops, and this whole knuckleheads thing. And, like, <laughs> um, yeah, he was just – and the block shots. Yeah. His length. Like, for a 6'9 guy with handles like that, too, it was, it was at that time it was not seen, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, Darius Miles is one of my favorite players from that era. Obviously, Lamar Odom. And a little bit later, Elton Brand. Mm-hmm. Elton Brand was a hustle player for a short dude. Like, that guy got his. Yeah. Especially his Clipper years were, like, his best years. And <clears throat> he was a killer. Yeah. Just... I liked his game, too, because he, he had a little bit of finesse, but he also had a little bit of bully ball on him. And he yeah. was undersized for a big, but I felt like he didn't get, like, pushed around by the mm-hmm. other bigs. And this is back when they actually had, like, bigs, bigs playing center. You would throw it down to them, and they would back you down, that kind of thing. Yeah, he was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, there's a lot of good players. Mm-hmm. 
they just never had the right franchise. Yeah. You know, like, obviously they lost this year with everything pretty much handed to them, but they didn't get the job done on the court. But, like, back in the day, like, man, like, it was just, like, you never saw the owner. You never saw the team grow. Like, you never saw new jerseys come out. You never saw, like, the players at events. Yeah. Things like that. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't have... They didn't have, like, oh, Clipper Day, come meet your favorite yeah, players or anything right. like that. Like, that guy didn't spend no money on his team. Like, <laughs> he was just collecting checks. Yeah. He didn't want to spend money on players. He didn't want to spend money on his team, coaches, none of that. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's crazy to be an owner. Obviously, like, you have to have a lot of money and you have a lot of other business ventures to be an owner. But to buy a team and then not to even just kind of half-ass it and just kind of like kind of drag it along I think that's kind for of a 30 weird. years yeah for, that's kind of weird because it's a professional sport and I feel like if you really invest in that I don't know what your other business ventures may be but like you can get a big turnaround mm-hmm. obviously it takes a few decades to build something like the Lakers have or something like the Celtics or Knicks or some of the more like historic franchises in basketball but regardless I don't know I feel like every even like a city like Memphis, right? They're like really bought into the Grizzlies. That's mm-hmm. one of the few sports teams out there. And they have a lot of like things that go back into them, right? And they, even if they don't have good players, I feel like fans can buy into their team just because whether it's marketed better over there or they just, they have a certain like style of play or they have a certain coach there. I think there. the smaller markets just mm-hmm. have more pride in their team. True, that too. You know, like they, they can say like, fuck, we have a sports team. This is our everything. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, Look at Oklahoma City Thunder, like, yeah. there's no other professional team in Oklahoma City. <laughs> I don't even know if there's people that live in Oklahoma City. Like, <laughs> Oklahoma City is a place. Yeah. Uh, um, so, like, yeah, I think those people just take more pride in their team. Like, they have something to root for, and I feel like the bigger markets are spoiled, and mm-hmm. the fans are spoiled. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, dude, like, we, we could go to a game any day, and we freaking treat it like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or, like, I don't know. Like, now, you know, with the owners the Clippers have, it's, like, really, it's really fun. Yeah. Like, I could go to an event every week because mm-hmm. they have one going on. I, the tickets are still affordable. Like, you know, t- Clipper tickets have always been affordable, but they haven't really changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, even when they were winning, even playoff tickets. I remember my first playoff game, I paid 25 bucks. Like, I was Jeez. like, I'm going to go. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good deal. Um. But yeah, the marketing now is amazing. How they brand rebranded their team, how they were able to bring stars the last few years to come play, even the old stars like to come yeah. out and be on the bench. Like, it's it's been good. Mm-hmm. I just think now it's time for a new change of a voice in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So you think Doc Rivers is out? I would definitely think so. Yeah, um, I would think so because it's dude. It's been what eight years, like. You haven't accomplished much. Like, you're great. He's a great coach. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. He's a good X and O's guy. He's a good motivator. He's good on defense. But the thing is, they need a different voice. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Sometimes you just need someone else to come in and tell you, like, hey, like, this is how I want to run things. Yeah. And that's what the front office, too. It's not just, you know, the players. Like, because obviously you get new players every year, mm-hmm. you know, but. You got to bring in someone new to change the style of the game, too, because Doc's style is really old school. Like, you can't... You need a point guard to, yeah. in order for his style to be successful. That's why Chris Paul was always, like, a great player for him. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a point guard. We have Patrick Beverly, which doesn't really call plays. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, he's right. a great point guard. But he's not, like, a playmaker. He's not, he's not going to be like, we're going to run this, we're going to run that. So, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's really stagnant ball right now. Yeah. For them. They were just dishing it out to the stars. That's pretty much what I saw most of the time. Yeah. And some strange reason, Lou Will and Montrez are not playing that pick and roll like they always used to. Yeah. It was tough, too, because I felt like they got injured at, like, really bad times. And even when they went back to the bubble, Lou Will got caught in Atlantic or Magic City, right, in Atlanta. And then Montrez had to leave to attend, I think, a family member's death, correct? Or yeah, grandma's So they just never, I feel like this whole <coughs> year, it was always like the story was like, oh, they're they're good players, but they probably played, what, like 20 games with their best yeah. crew, like all together? Yeah, and then Shamit and Zoo got COVID, so yeah. they didn't even get there till later. Exactly. So like Eric, Patrick Beverly getting injured, like all those things, like 
are excuses too, though. Yeah. Because we they do have the deepest team in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it was easy for them to just fill slots whenever they didn't have people. Right. And then even if they only played 20-something games together, they won 50. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So that means there was other days people showed yeah. up. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. it's just all excuses. Mm-hmm. They let it, this year they let it get to their head. And you can see it on the court. They'll get a huge lead or a lead. And then they just stop. Mm-hmm. They just stop playing. But I mean, it was also simply they just weren't making shots. They weren't making wide open shots. Yeah. And it was hatched. second half struggle showed for fucking four games straight. Yeah. You know, that's tough. Well, going back to you and your art and playing sports after that in high school, did you have a after graduating high school? Did you have necessarily a plan of what you wanted to do? And how did you kind of bounce? Well, I never graduated high school. Okay. I just uh, continued school. Yeah. Like, I went to adult schools um, and then adult schools and just work for a little bit. And then, and then yeah, I was writing a lot of graffiti. Like, I was really writing a lot of it. Like, I was getting around everywhere. That was my life. I would go to stores and, like, still spray cans and, like, art supplies and just go out there and do crazy shit mm-hmm. with my friends just being parties all the time we were throwing parties we were throwing parties like every weekend wow you know like that was kind of like our thing like let's just throw a party what's the theme well let's do a Hawaiian theme mm-hmm. okay we're gonna do that you know like we didn't really just throw parties without themes and I, maybe that's where my event like lifestyle came from was just throwing house parties yeah um so yeah and then I got caught up writing graffiti and then I went to jail and I was like yeah, that was that was before everything started. Was mm-hmm. was that? Mm-hmm. What did you love most from or about graffiti when you were doing it? I think because I ran my own crews, so it taught me a lot about leadership, mm-hmm. helping people out and keeping people together and loyalty and mm-hmm. um, to one another. Like we fought for each other. Like we literally fought to back each other up and. And I don't know, maybe sometimes it was for the right reasons, but it taught me a lot of things, you know? But, yeah, we just fight with each other, staying consistent, staying passionate about your art. Like, all those things came out of it, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think one thing, too, the attitudes towards graffiti and graffiti-type art, I think has shifted, at least when I, since I was a kid. People looked at graffiti <coughs> as kind of like, oh, like, things that delinquents do and stuff that's on the streets and it's not really considered art. But now I think... Re- Within the past five to ten years, I've seen a lot more stuff, whether it's an artist or a graphic designer, incorporate more stuff. And you'll even, if you drive through Santa Ana's or other urban areas like the LA's and surrounding areas like that too, a lot more local mechanic shops or local barber shops will have like the graffiti art as their main sign. How do you, do you think that like as a culture, society kind of shifted more favorably towards graffiti art or is that yeah definitely I mean then I saw it coming you know when I was writing graffiti like we knew it was going to get commercialized we knew it was going to be more accepted Mm -hmm. and we knew like artists were going to sell out to big companies and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but I wouldn't really even consider it selling out like honestly the the culture shifted it became it was dead for a long time like in the 90s like it was just not really around Mm -hmm. you know and then Come to two thousands, it popped up again, and then now it's literally in everything you see: commercials, branding. Mm-hmm. Even look at the NBA, like yeah. Brooklyn's jerseys, Dallas jerseys, like that's graffiti. Like, yeah. Um, and it's it's becoming it's coming more acceptable, but also the street culture is where it died out because not that many people were actually doing it streetwise. Right. You know, like now everyone knows like oh if I get good enough to draw something I could actually be a designer I could actually make my own clothes sure. I could actually you know put my art out there in galleries like and I think people realize that like we don't need to get in trouble mm-hmm. to make art right and and the older guys just got tired of it when you get older like I got I don't even like talking about it no more to people <laughs> I see people that I, I know from the, those days and I just like I don't talk about it I won't talk about the past what yeah. happened I don't talk about who I had to be with I don't talk about mm-hmm. you know doing it again I don't even draw it anymore like wow. I don't even have the urge to even like pick up a pencil to even tag something you know like, yeah and 
I feel like that's just me evolving from it, but yeah, it taught me a lot, dude. Mm -hmm. it taught me a lot. Why do you think that is? Was there a certain point in your life that you just wanted to drop everything? And how come? I told myself, like, even going into it, like, first time I get caught, mm -hmm. I quit. Okay. And then that's what I did. And the second time I got busted was just for... So after the first time I got caught, I never wrote outside again. Mm -hmm. I never wrote on anything. I never went painting, none of that. I just turned to canvases. And the second time I got busted, since I was on probation, mm -hmm. like they found like supplies and stuff in the car. So I didn't tell my PO, and I didn't check in with him for like 11 months. Mm -hmm. He didn't even violate me. He didn't come get me or nothing. And uh, I, I went to court for for not finishing my community service. Mm -hmm. And then the, the judge is like, hey, uh, what does your PO say about you bumping into this person in your other case? I was like, oh, my PO, I haven't seen him in 11 months. Yeah. <laughs> they locked me up on the spot. Dang. So I ended up doing like three months. And then I got out early on, uh, on work program mm -hmm. uh, for like, oh, I got out like a week early, mm -hmm. but it accounted for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, after the second time I was done, done, mm -hmm. I was not my, the fucked up part is that the case that I, I got locked up for got dropped because mm -hmm. they tried to get me for a spray can tip and it was on a clear gloss spray can. So you can't tag on anything with clear gloss. Mm -hmm. And I told my lawyer, like. I use it for my paintings that were also in the car to mm. finish to, as a finish. Yeah. And there was no graffiti stuff in the car when they took it. Yeah. So like, yeah, it was graffiti supplies. I'm on probation. You found a spray can tip mm -hmm. that had no paint on it on a clear gloss can. Yeah. And you try to pin me for that and that the charges got dropped. But the reason why I still did time because I had to make up for that community service I didn't yeah. do. Uh -huh. I had a probation violation. Yeah. And pretty much yeah I mean that was it like and I did three months and I came out and I was like I'm done like I was done with my community service mm -hmm. I wasn't done with probation but then after after that time I went to school again mm -hmm. to another school that my PO suggested I go to that was gonna help me get credits and get my life in order mm -hmm. and like it was called CORE mm -hmm. and it was on like Bristol and Segerstrom and that place like I went to school with like a bunch of criminals mm -hmm. like hard criminals and like gangsters, drug addicts, the whole thing. Yeah. And everybody there, or at least the majority of us, like even rival gangs would see each other there, like like swallowed our pride mm. and just sucked it up and was like, we want better in our life. Yeah. None of us there were managed to be there. We yeah. volunteered to be there. Okay. We wanted to better our lives. So for f the first half of the school, was working on getting our credits for our diploma or if we wanted a GD, like doing work to practice for a GD. Mm -hmm. And the other half of the, the school hours was life and job skills. Mm -hmm. So like they taught us how to give interviews, take interviews. They taught us how to um, like job interviews and stuff. They taught us like what to say during the job interview. They mm -hmm. taught us um, just life things. Like we had a quote of the day and we just ran with it. Like everybody had to write in their journals and stuff about how they feel or what that quote meant to them. Okay. And those things, those things were happening and like, I felt like it, that school helped me shape my life to the person I am today. And my last day of school, I was like, peace bitches. <laughs> I gave this speech and, um, and I remember just saying it all. And then I looked up and like, I'm looking at my teacher and he's crying, he's bawling. Damn. And I look around the classroom, everyone's bawling. And I'm all like, dude, I wrote a good speech. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, uh, not because, I mean, it really did. Like, I, I just talked about, like, how it changed, that place changed my life. And yeah. certain people that were in the room, how I look up to them, become a better person. Like, and and I don't know, that speech, I still have the original written speech somewhere mm -hmm. in this room. But that's how much it meant to me. Like, and that was, like, 10 years ago, bro, I kept that speech. Dang. Because that's... It was good. It's good to reflect yeah. back on it, I'm sure. And yeah. Read it and reread it. And whenever you're in like dark times, you're going mm -hmm. through obstacles now. Do you think you came out better because of the classes, because of what they were offering, or was it more of like an internal thing? 
you went in thinking I already want to change I think with education it has to do with finding people's strengths mm. and you know, every day we're forced to like take these classes of shit we don't even know about yeah or shit that we don't want to know about or won't really even matter to us in the future you know what I mean yeah like do I need to know advanced math really like if I can't pass that that's the only class I still haven't passed really I'm just short those math credits because <laughs> I can't do any algebra yeah anything over algebra like I can't figure it out mm-hmm. and I don't know maybe it's just my mental capacity like I can't learn it mm-hmm. and so uh, and I think that place kind of like tapped in so like like the second part of the class like how like hey um, what do you want to be in your life you know and, and they helped us create plans for whatever careers we wanted to get into mm-hmm. they, they they took us on field trips that mattered they, they um, you know and like they just really went into detail about what we love to do and how they could help us do it mm-hmm. you know okay. and I felt like that that's the good way of teaching was just like find what someone wants to do and they can get educated on that and we'll make them they will help them achieve that dream yeah and I think that's what made me want to be better yeah than helping people mm-hmm. that's very different from the uh, public school system right I feel like the public school system they have their especially like in California they have their uh, certain standards certain curriculum that teachers need to hit and I feel like a lot of times at least me reflecting back as a student teachers taught more for you just to kind of pass the test and pass the test at the end of the year mm-hmm. and get good grades, passable grades in the class. But they didn't really teach you anything I felt like worth like hanging on to, you know what I'm saying? Or teach you anything worth, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't make it exciting. They, they put, at least the schools that I went to, I felt like a lot of teachers put minimal effort just to get by. And it kind of sucked because I felt like coming out of high school, I was kind of a half-assed person and I realized, okay, and I think through sports, I always had like that, like hustle and motivation in me. But like, if I just didn't play sports and I was like purely school, I feel like, you know, I, I came out like as a half-assed student. And in college, I had a, not a rude awakening. Like I, I, once I was able to like commit to the papers and stuff like that and commit to like the classwork and stuff like that in junior college, I was able to get the ball rolling and I didn't really struggle too much. But I know just coming out of high school, I just left thinking like, what the hell was all that? I don't know, I, I thought, I always I'm a big advocate for like realigning or readjusting the public school system and the curriculums and what they teach kids because I feel like a lot of kids come out of there with a very similar to you like they just don't know what they want to do and I think after junior high you kind of already know yeah everything you need to know like high school should be more of like a learning process mm-hmm. that's when we have to be selective and be like hey like you already know what you want to be everyone's gonna have a career change in their life but you know at least at that young age you work on building that person and becoming that person in this in the society we live in you know right but I never found that until I was older mm-hmm. like and me being so like multi like um, I don't know the word but like pretty much diverse mm-hmm. in like different things and good at different things um, that kind of like helped me stay intact of who I truly am and want to be. So I feel like if I was a do- let's say I wanted to be a doctor, but then I changed my career field and don't want to be a doctor no more, and I want to be want to be a teacher. Like the job that I'm in right now, I could do all those things at once. Yeah, you know, I could give back to my community. I could work at a bar. I could throw events. I could, you know what I mean? Like I could be as diverse as I want. Mm-hmm. because I chose that lifestyle for myself and this is what I'm comfortable with doing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing too is like especially when you go to college right after high school the biggest thing they tell you is like choose one major right? Yeah. I think a lot of times we're really young at that age we don't really make a lot of good decisions but we just think oh man like I have to pick one thing that I want to do for the rest of my life when then in reality that's not always the case like they're sure there's a lot of people who just be doctors and they're fine being doctors and they're happy mm-hmm. with being doctors I think there's a lot of people who like to do a little bit of everything, right? And I think I've had a lot of people on that show. I think I'm kind of like that. I think, you know, meeting you, seeing that you're like that. And there's a lot of people in the community like that where they don't want to just be all in on one thing because they have, like I said, like a diverse, I think a diverse or a versatility. Versatility. Like a versatile skill set. 
and they want to be able to dump into different ventures and explore different things, explore different, explore different creative outlets. And I think that's important, right? I think uh, we're starting to see more of that, especially from like the athlete side, right? I don't think when you first became a Clippers fan, there was too many athletes that were like highlighted for things they did off the court, right? But like yeah. we look at LeBron James and he built the school in his hometown and he also invested into Blaze Pizza and he also invested into different things, right? And you're seeing more and more of that, mainly because of social media and they have their own platforms to put that stuff out. But I think now it's more acceptable to be that, let's say, a politician who also owns something else or to be an athlete who also does something else, to be a doctor or a nurse or an artist that does something else. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's way more accepted now, but we're talking about people with money. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. That's the difference, too. Yeah. It's like they have money. They could do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for some people, maybe sometimes they look at it going into their careers because they want money right like money to them they feel like they want to be set for life like I was never that person I'm not set for life at all you know what I mean but I'm enjoying it for the moment Mm -hmm. Um, but they those people become like people that they love the money they're making but they hate the job yeah and I don't want to hate what I love to do yeah or I used to love to do I'm always going to love what I did Mm -hmm. you know I don't live life with regrets you just got to go in there and accept everything that falls on your plate and you just make the best out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference of like, but we need those people in the world. Like we need we do, doctors, yeah. we need, we need teachers, we need whatever, but I can't live that lifestyle yeah. of just being that one person. Right. If you're not driven by money necessarily, what is the main driving factor for you to do the different things that you have going on right now? Um... For me, honestly, it's just being able to to help people. Mm-hmm. I think that's like my strongest like strength is my ability to want to help people. I in any way, you know what I mean. Like just not with their careers or you know providing opportunities, giving back. Like I just like helping people, and I think that that's what drives me mm-hmm. the most is just being able to give back. You know, like, even though I don't have much, like, I try to give back wherever I can, and I try to, like, allocate things to make it, make it a possibility for other people. Yeah. Do you think, or is there a particular person that kind of taught that to you, or a particular moment in your life that had you wanting to give back? Um, I think I just got up on my own and did it. Mm -hmm. And I built my brand to be rotating around it. Because mm-hmm. um, there was never really one moment like growing up where like I was giving, giving, giving. Like I was a hustler. Mm-hmm. I was selling, selling, selling. Yeah. So like I was like, oh, I would sell like random shit. I remember in junior high, I was like twelve years old, and my brother put me on this hustle about like, not to go off topic, but he put me on this hustle. He's like, dude, go to nine cents store. We spend ten bucks. You get ten boxes of condom. You sell every condom for 50 cents. <laughs> no and way. And you're balling. No way. And, I, and fucking junior high, everywhere Yo. you went, you just saw floating condoms everywhere in lunchtime and all this shit. And I was like, what? fuck, I was a guy just hustling. You're I was making it. so much money. Nobody was fucking. Yeah. It's junior high. Like, they just, I would just they sell it. They thought they were fucking. You know, they would, some would buy it just because they were lying, wanted to be cool. You yeah, know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, dude, like, that was like one of my first hustles and then like I worked at the Swami when yeah. I was 11 years old yeah, like yeah. all of through high school every weekend I woke up at 5 in the morning went to the Swamp Meets Which set one? them up Orange County Marketplace okay um and until like I saved enough money and then like even when I was working there at some of the places I would steal from like my bosses so mm-hmm. like let's say like sports lanyards or whatever yeah. and I would take them and I would sell them at school so yeah. it'd be like oh that's gonna be 15 bucks that's 15 bucks that's, and it was all a profit for me mm-hmm. and then even when I was doing graffiti like I was just selling graffiti supplies I was like buying spray can tips by the hundreds just selling them each a piece you yeah. know or like markers or whatever I would sell them and I was just like a straight up hustler like wherever I could my other friend through I'm such a horrible person actually but I remember like we would go in high school and break into lockers and Oh, there was damn. even one time we stole a pair of Jordans and we sold it. We told the guy, like, you could buy it back off of us. Damn. Like, we were crazy. Yeah. Crazy kids. And then 
one that same buddy I used to do that with, once he graduated high school, he used to work at this like wholesale electronic place and he would steal iPods all the time. So like my senior year of high school I was doing nothing but selling iPods. Wow. To like a bunch of people. The nanos, like the first nanos and yeah, stuff? Yeah. Like the na- the nanos, the fucking what are the Shuffles? Shuffles. Yeah. Like the full iPods, whatever. I would just like come out with like 50 fucking iPods a day. Like fucking, we were just banking off that shit. Because we were selling like 75 bucks and, you know, buy them new is 150. Like for us, it was all profit. Yeah. Man, we fucking, I would just hustle. But going back to um, giving back, maybe that's what made me want to give back. Yeah. Was the fact that. I took so much. Yeah. Okay. And I felt bad about it, and I was just like, "Man, what can I do to help now?" Mm-hmm. And so, we always did things like feed the homeless, and you know, backpack drives, and water drives, and just mm-hmm. whatever we could do to give back to our community. We just did it, you know, fundraise money for certain nonprofits. So, mm-hmm. we just did it. Like, yeah. even if we made it an event or we didn't make it an event, and we just woke up every Saturday morning and just went out there and fed people like we did that like mm-hmm. and I always liked doing it I always enjoyed doing it and mm-hmm. I still to this day so I know you have a lot going on now but right after you graduated from that core school the continuing education what was some of your first moves that you made I started working at a nightclub no actually I was working at the nightclub already during that time mm-hmm. so I was working at the Yost Theater as a concert promoter but what happened was I didn't want to throw parties no more. I got, I felt like, man, I'm like 23 years old. Like I need to, I need to want more for myself. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm 22 years old. I need to do things for a purpose. So I started a art collective called Concept Mm -hmm. and we had almost 50 people part of this collective over the years uh, for the last eight years, nine years almost now, Mm -hmm. nine years. And, um, Next year will be our 10th year, but I wanted to build artists. So I want to provide opportunity for artists. I wanted to have a team of artists put together art events. Mm -hmm. So it could be art shows. We did art shows. We did fashion shows. We did music festivals. We did, uh, you know, like media events. We did, we did whatever we did. Like we just, you can name a type of event and we did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so once I started doing that and helped building these artists to become where they, they want to be and providing those opportunities for them and having them network with the people I knew, it just became fun again. Yeah. And it became like I could I could leave an event and know like, man, I made someone's dream came true today. Mm-hmm. And if not, like I made, uh, if not, then I helped them build their confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, and that felt good. That feeling felt better than ever you know like I never left an event saying that shit was shitty yeah you know unless really it was shitty there's <laughs> nobody there yeah but that was really rare because we had we had a system that worked mm-hmm. it's like hey if you think this show's gonna be dead what you do is you invite 30 artists to be participate and those 30 artists are gonna bring 30 even if they all bring one person that's a successful event yeah you know yeah. what I mean so like our art shows would always be like 20 artists 30 mm-hmm. artists showing their work and even if they just get one person to come and they come and they each artist support each other you're gonna have a full event yeah um and that's kind of like promotion 101 was just like the more people you get involved the more people you can have there yeah what was i guess the first event that really stood out to you and was kind of opened your eyes to seeing that you can continue doing this at such a successful rate mm. Had to be my first event. Yeah. Uh, we did it. Well, the first two events for sure. We did our first event in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And originally it was just supposed to be these two artists that we had um, called We Are Rodents. And they were they were just going to showcase their stuff. But then we ended up adding bands and we ended up adding photographers and other artists to showcase. And we probably filled it up with like maybe 800 people. Dang. And then, wow, where at? It was just a warehouse in Garden Grove. Okay. And then, their next show, we did at GCS at their old spot. Mm-hmm. So our next show was our first show as a collective. So we already at by that time we had like 
maybe 20 of us. Yeah. So it was just only us showcasing our stuff, and we did everything from the music, the photos, the mm-hmm. art. It was all our collective. So our first solo show together, and we did like 500 people there. So I was kind of like, dog, this is getting big. Yeah. This is getting big because <laughs> this is two for two. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But we obviously upped our game over the years to do bigger events like fashion shows. Like our fashion shows get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then music festivals, of course. We had our own first music festival. The East End Block Party, right? Uh, No, uh, Concept Art and Music Festival. Oh, okay. And then Block Party came around and we started... We've been a part of Block Party since the first one. Okay. Um, but yeah, my first music festival, first concert party music festival, was sponsored by Red Bull. It was sponsored by Carvin. Nice. Like, like they supplied all our sound equipment. Red Bull brought like a shitload of drinks and whatever we needed. Do you guys need a stage? You guys need umbrellas? You guys need? Wow. I wish I would have took them on that offer because it ended up pouring that day. Oh. But we were indoors. Okay. So here at Forest Street Market, before they built it, mm-hmm. we did the festival in there. Okay. So it was like an abandoned warehouse, pretty much. Yeah. Um. So we had the whole space to throw a music festival, and that's what we did for a couple of months. We did music festivals. We did art shows where like I had all the murals bunch of murals painted inside of him in there like Dang. um That's did like another like clothing sale thing there i pretty much had that spot for like five months just by myself mm-hmm. but yeah man there was a lot of good events that we put together a lot of memorable ones um a lot of times we worked with a lot of small businesses to help get them get people in the door and get them on their feet you know like so yeah like I remember, we had this really cool beat event every day, every after every art watch. So like after ten o'clock, everybody would go there, and it was at Ninjas with Appetite. Have you did you ever go there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like a little teriyaki joint here in downtown, and when you go in there, you can only fit like ten people, but we would stuff it inside, outside, and we would just have like producers playing beats, yeah, uh, and, and like DJs just doing like DJ sets, sets. yeah, and that's what it was. It was like this like. I got the idea from what's it called? Uh, that one with something with sound room or some shit where they're just like in small tiny it's desk. Not, it's not tiny desk, but okay. it's a DJ version of it. Yeah, boiler okay. room. Okay, boiler room sessions, and they would just have these DJs in these these small rooms and like everyone's turning up and dancing, <laughs> and that's what I wanted. I was like, dude, come drop a set. Yeah, in a tight ass space. Mm-hmm. And let's pack it out. Like, we had a food truck outside. We were, like, everybody was, like, standing outside. We had drinks. Like, we had an art show that went along with it. It was one of those things where it's, like, dude, like, even the small shit mm-hmm. mattered to me. Like, it was fun. Damn. That shit does sound fun. So, speaking of 4th Street Market and just a lot of Santa Ana, especially since you're here local to downtown, how do you feel about a lot of the gentrification and renovating of certain buildings and just... A lot more money being poured into the community, making things a little bit higher priced, but also making them a little nicer. I hate that word, gentrification. Yeah? Yeah. Why do you hate it? Um, I, I just don't believe in it too much. Mm-hmm. And that's my ignorance towards it. Mm-hmm. Because I still see opportunity. I'm a big, like, opportunity guy. Mm-hmm. Um... And when I see new business, I see new growth, and I see new faces, and and I get that that people are getting ran out and rents getting increased and stuff like that. Like I totally get it, and I feel bad for them. Like even my family don't even live in this city no more because it's too fucking expensive. But I'm a part of that huge growth. Mm-hmm. I'm as responsible for all of that. You know what I mean? Like happening. Like I'm the one throwing events to make it a cool place. I'm the yeah. one bringing people here for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm the one showing them these cool restaurants, these cool stores, like, like, I don't know, like, to me, like, I think it's good for the community because, like, even, like, when Forestry Market opened, people that own businesses inside the market, people that worked for those businesses were all Santa Ana Locos. Yeah. People that couldn't find jobs before here in downtown because it didn't exist for them because everything was mom and pops. Right. It's like family passed down. Like, there weren't opportunities like that for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't know. It's like a love-hate for me, bro. Like, (laughs) I wish things could get better and people could stay, but at the same time, I love growth. Yeah. I love when things grow. And it becomes a cycle. Yeah. It's kind of like a double-edged sword, and I think 
also I think it speaks on people's ability to adapt right because yeah. I think some people see the like the, the different stuff right whether it's whether it's new buildings new places opening up and think oh like they already put themselves like in a negative mindset yeah, like oh here comes all these new people coming in new businesses because they have a traditional mind state right they like tradition people love tradition I love tradition too yeah but at the same time I love seeing new things because I love change and yeah. I feel like changing and adapting is like is, is the coolest thing ever like mm. Yeah, like you said, like they're gonna see new businesses, but and, and stuff like that. But like, imagine seeing a restaurant, you know nothing about this food. Mm-hmm. You know how many times I stand outside the bar and someone, everyone's like, "What the hell is omakase?" <laughs> and like, I have to like tell them it's sushi, yeah. but it's expensive. Like, and they're like, "Oh man, I gotta try it. How much is it?" Like, I'm like 150 bucks per person. Whoa! And they're like, "What?" And then I was like, "Yeah, but it's like an eight eight. They make you eight dishes all by hand, specialty. Oh, okay. like from the chef himself. Like, yeah." And it's a big thing. And he's like, oh, well, how can I make a reservation? I'm like, they're three months out. What? So it's like, you can't. That's right here in Tanana? That's here right next to the bar. Next to the Damn, I like, <laughs> And those things, like, you don't get to try that shit everywhere. No, You're you not going to be open-minded to if it's not in your face. Yeah. How much good food have you tried, you know, just because you see it in a picture? Like, mm-hmm. people don't. You have to actually see it in your face and, like, people tell you stories about it or something like that. Word of mouth, yeah. Word of mouth for them to be like, yo, is it fire? And they believe you. If they don't, they'll try it for themselves anyways, and then they'll be like, you hyped it up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what we need more of. And then the culture, too. Like, yeah, we get it. It's predominantly Hispanic people in, in Santa Ana, but there was a large group of people that got left out. Yeah. The black community, the Asian community. Mm-hmm. The white community. Yeah. Like, they've always been a part of this town, too. Yeah. So, when people say shit, like, when they come here and be like, oh, man, there's nothing but white people down here. I'm all like, dude, these people grew up in their same neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, like, they grew up maybe in richer white neighborhoods in Santa Ana, but they're still Santa Ana people. Yeah. They're a reflection of our city as a whole. Like, and we have to be more accepting to people to want to come here. Mm-hmm. Because tourism draws money. And yeah. And we want it. We want people to be successful here and have nice things in the city we have to or even pay our cops like we have to make sure tourism does a good job and and we're doing what we can to bring people here yeah because think about how many times people from here love to go to LA right and explore Hollywood explore Beverly or wherever they may go they're you know putting money into those local food places I think it also would be beneficial to the city and to the county if they came back here too like people from LA people from Riverside let's go to Santa Ana try that sushi spot or try some local restaurant that's only here in Santa Ana you know I think it's cool that they have something like Suavecito that's you know local to Santa Ana the headquarters are right here you know so yeah they, it, it definitely pays off if people want to come visit tourism that's that's a good point because it's not just you know, locals feeding money into the local businesses mm-hmm. all right so just to wrap things up what are some uh what are some other goals that you have for the year 2020 um just keep giving back um I have my photo show coming up it's like Another creative outlet that I started picking up was picking up a camera. You know, I was already at all the concerts and music festivals, and I just didn't have anything to do. So I was like, man, I have my camera, so I might as well start shooting. And so a lot of the photos you're going to see are in my photo show on October 24th. It's going to be, you know, concert stuff, um, pictures of buildings around Santa Ana and other cities I visited. a lot of portraits of my friends and and them trying to model because I don't shoot models. Yeah, I shoot like everyday people, mm-hmm. and I convince them to model. I'm like, you're really pretty. Like, yeah. you should try it. And they get into it and they start really doing it. Like, <laughs> I'm getting text messages right now about like doing a fitness shoot. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do a fitness. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, it's dope. But um, yeah. So just working on that photo show coming up and then. I don't know what the rest of the year yeah. is going to look like, honestly. I can't get started on the festival if I don't know if it's going to happen. I can't right. plan another event. Like I'm, We're already kind of pushing it for the two events that we did already, or the event we just did, and then the one coming up. So mm-hmm. i got to just see what the feedback's going to be, and if it's good, then we'll keep it going. Yeah. So I do like to ask and end the show with a couple thought-provoking questions. If you could have any toppings on the pizza, what would they be? Just pineapple and ham. Okay. Hawaiian. Yeah, Hawaiian or chicken barbecue. Ah, sounds good. Yeah. If you could talk to any person dead or alive in history, who would you want to talk to? Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. 
Why? Um, because he was probably my main influence growing up. Mm-hmm. It's not just in his song music, but who he was as a person. He didn't give a fuck about what anybody thought of him. And he lived to his standards and the way he wanted to live while he lived. But uh, he was just really thought-provoking, yeah, motivating, and and poetic. Okay. So it was like one of those type of people I would like to meet for sure. Yeah. All right, two more. Let's say you're stranded on an island. You have food and water provided. What are three things that you'd want to bring to pass the time? Fishing pole. Oh, okay. Cause I gotta eat. Yeah. Well, even well, if food, food's provided, food. you want to eat. But fish? I want fishing is a peaceful thing. If we're stranded on an island, you yeah. might as well fish. <laughs> um, damn, I don't know. I'm not really like a materialistic guy. Like, okay. it could um, be people. It could be. Yeah, I would definitely bring my people. Yeah. Yeah, I'll bring my friend, my family, my friends. Like, I don't think anybody will sign up to be on a deserted island. <laughs> but, um, yeah. My fishing pole, my that that maybe um i don't know pretty much i'll just die honestly <laughs> i don't even know what the third one is <laughs> if i was stuck in a deserted island it's not even an ideal thing for me like i just might as well just commit suicide oh man all right <laughs> all right <laughs> never gonna get it you're yeah. never gonna catch me that far out in the ocean bro <laughs> okay like the ocean is gonna have to come to me i can't yeah. swim yeah so the, the ocean is gonna have to come to me to drag me out like i'm not <laughs> When I'm on the boat, like, I'm going on a boat later today. Yeah. Fuck, knock on wood. <laughs> but I'm wearing my life vest. Fuck that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, but, like, that's the furthest. I'm just in the harbor. Okay. You're not going to catch me out in the ocean. All right. Like, I love fishing. I might go on a fishing boat mm-hmm. one day, but, like, you're not going to catch me on a cruise. Fuck that. I hate mm-hmm. pirates. Um, <laughs> you're not... <laughs> Yeah, like, that's it. Okay. I'm not going to end up on a deserted island. promise you that. All right, all right. Last question. If you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? Huh. What advice would I... Don't do drugs. Okay. Yeah. Pretty simple. There you go. Drugs are bad. <laughs> all right. Uh, before we go, go ahead and plug where people can follow your work on social medias or wherever else you might have that stuff up at yeah so you can follow me at Mike Tyson M-I-C-T-Y-S-O-N on everything Twitter Facebook Instagram YouTube Pornhub all that stuff (laughs) alright awesome man thank you again for being on the show yeah thank you for having me boom that's gonna wrap it up for another episode of the My Mike and I podcast be sure to follow Mike Tyson or you can follow Tyson on Instagram with the username at Mike, spelled M-I-C, Tyson. And you can check out more of his work and the things that he has going on. If you really like this episode and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review. And if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to just hit subscribe. And if you can, share with a friend and tell a friend to tell a friend to tell maybe your family member about the podcast if you think you may, uh, they might be interested in the show. And yeah, guys, I know it's been a while. I really just want to say I hope you guys are continuing to thrive in this year 2020. I know things have not been easy, have not been convenient. There's been a lot of uncomfortable scenarios this year. But I do think there could be a lot of growth from this year too. And I'm keeping that positive mindset as far as looking forward to a better future, not just as an individual, but in you know my small group, in my community, as well as bigger picture. Hopefully in the country, we could really grow from a time like this. Um, if not, I don't even want to talk about it, if not, <laughs> but nonetheless, guys, yeah, just continue to grind, grind it out, all gas, no brakes in the year 2020, and just always remember, never, never stop seeking knowledge and, and chase, chase your dreams, not checks. Uh, it's, it, when you, when you flip that switch in your life, in your lifestyle and how you carry yourself, man, it will do wonders, let me tell you. So that being said, I think I'm going to wrap it up. I mean, you guys know where to follow me on Instagram at my period Mike and period I on Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez. Um, I got some other content coming on the way. If you want to watch this on YouTube, just look up Noah Alvarez or my Mike and I podcast on YouTube and you will find my channel. It's under the name Noah Alvarez, but I have all my, my Mike and I videos up on there as well as some other videos too. 
gonna be dropping some more stuff and content on that YouTube page. But yeah, man, just just really just girly going after it, really trying to be hungry and shit. And I know I'm kind of rambling, so I'm gonna end this right here. Again, thank you to Generic Sports, thank you to Vince Correa, thank you to Tyson for being a guest on this week's show. Be sure to check out Phoenix Fit FNXFIT.com and use promo code my mic and I for 15% off on every single purchase. Also, be sure to check out popple.co and use lock use promo code locker for 20% off on every single purchase for that. And guys, just again, shout out to you guys for listening all the way through. This is Noah Alvarez signing off. Till next time.